We are the creators of reality. Those who have mastered perseverance, those who thrive despite attempts to thwart us, those who make magic at the root of the very trees they hung us from. We are the mountains and the rivers. We are the sun and the moon. We are sand and gems. We are the first and the final. We be big and small. We be light and dark. We be seasoned and youthful. We be sensual and sacred. Those gifted and divine. Those powerful and radical. Those vibrant and ancestral. We are the creators of reality. We are the Black Oasis. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Black Oasis podcast. I'm your host, Kaya Supreme, and this is the place where we lay it all down. Today's guest is a woman with the most flawless skin I have ever seen in my entire life. She's gentle, she's patient, she's brilliant, she's kind, she's loving and compassionate, she's angelic. Ladies and gentlemen, the Tofiki Chukwemeka. Welcome, sis. Thank you so much for that introduction. <laughs> you are so worthy and welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you for um, creating the space for us to do this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We got to get on one accord, you know? Unity mm-hmm. is key. So here at Black Oasis, we believe in the metaphor of creating a paradise, a haven, a hush harbor, a safe space for all Black people, no matter what sexual orientation, no matter what education level, uh, no able abilities, um, religious beliefs, it doesn't matter if you are of African descent, this is your place, this is your space. And so today we have you on here to teach us, teach the saints about sexual health and stigma in the black community. Um, You have taught me a lot. I have learned a lot um, from you in just our conversations and, and some of the things that you have access to. So I was just hoping to create space for us to vibrate a little higher and relief, uh, release some judgment, release some negative beliefs and practices that we have in our community. So, um, but first, do you mind telling us a little bit about you and letting the people know who you are? Sure. Uh, So yes, I'm really excited to talk about sexual health. It's um, one of the things that I love to talk about. Um, But a little bit about myself. I am a Black woman, 31 years old. Um, I've, you know, been, um, when I started into this field, it was because I grew up um, knowing that sexual health was such a taboo topic. And so for me, it was very revolutionary and stepping outside of the box to make a living out of talking about sex. Um, (laughs) So um, one of the things about me that I really hold dear and true to myself is that I love educating people. And so um, I know that, you know, we'll get into like, what am I, what am I here for? And, you know, what was the reason that I was put on this earth? But I truly do feel that um, providing um, clarity and, um, just education on things that we may not know harm us, right? Um, is one of my duties here in this in this world or in this life. Um, I 
have done a lot of work in the community. I consider myself a community-oriented um, person, um, even though I'm very much an introvert, but um, my my spirit gets invigorated whenever I'm in the community and doing work. So um, oftentimes you'll find me, you know, at a community-based organization or, you know, just giving different lectures or giving presentations and stuff like that. And that's literally what I do for work. So um, I love the fact that throughout my life, I've kind of been very consistent in um, the things that I have wanted to do and the things that make me uh, me and feel alive and really feed me, um, not even um, academically and career-wise, but really spiritually. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. So um, if you could construct an oasis, a paradise, a safe haven for Black people, what specific element must be involved? What must be mm-hmm. a part of our oasis if we're really truly going to actualize mm-hmm. a place of rejuvenation and wellness for our people? Um, so as I'm thinking about that question, I'm thinking about, um, you know, why an o- oasis is needed. And if we're thinking about like why um, places of healing is needed, if we think about like what's happening now, where there's like so much going on with our surroundings. It can be draining. It could be um, societal pressures, unjust systems. We need a place for rest and we need a place for rejuvenation. And I'm thinking that um, community in general, just the basic understanding of having a shared group of people, um, you know, kind of working towards a common goal. We need community. And so that's my idea of an oasis because the very nature of a community holds people accountable. The very nature of a community um, provides support, um, whether it's emotional, you know, so many different types of support. Um, And so that's that's what I think an oasis would need. Um, It has to have an element of community. Okay. And why specifically... uh what role would you play in the Oasis? And that's kind of like the why were you created question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's a good question. I think my role would evolve over time. Um, When I think back to what my purpose is and I think back to why, you know, why I'm here. um, I think depending on where I'm at, depending on the site that I have at that time, my role may be different. um, But I think it always goes back to awareness and education. So my role would be um, the person that's providing the information um, and helping people apply it to their lives. Um, I think when we think about like, even like gift houses, right? (laughs) Um, You know, kind of providing wisdom, insight, things like that. Yes, and and you do that, sis. (laughs) Uh, And so I mentioned stigma. Can you just briefly tell us exactly what stigma is? Mm -hmm. So stigma is any negative thought or negative understanding towards a specific thing or behavior or person or being, right? So you see something, you see someone, there are so many different stigmas that might be attached to that thing or that person, that behavior, It's whatever your preconceived notion is. 
And stigma usually stems from a lack of education. So oftentimes when people have stigma, sometimes it's not even it's not even true, right? Like what they believe may not even be true of the thing. Um, so stigma really stems from ignorance. Mm, so, and, 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 and ignorance is in people just simply don't know any better or people have been told something false rooted in someone else's own bias and it's just yeah. kind of tumbled out of control and, and now mm-hmm. it's reality for some people. Yeah. Um, but not rooted yeah. in fact. You're right. It, well, stigma can also be rooted in fact too, but it's this mm. unnecessary, um, yeah, because you can you can fear, you know, that because this thing is true, it's going to blah, 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 right? So it's kind of creating um, assumptions based on the fact. So can and, you give us like a real-time, real-life example of a, a mm-hmm. stigma that we have in our community? Um, so... I'm going to just go right into sexual health. Um, Please. People, people living with HIV that they are, um, I'm going to use air quotes because I don't like this word, okay. but people use the word promiscuous, right? So mm-hmm. people say like, if someone is living, so people might think like, oh, this person has HIV. Well, you know, that person probably was sleeping with mad people. So boom, that's what they get, you know, like things like that. Or, or that it only happens to a certain group of people. Right. And um, so the first uh, example that I mentioned that, you know, people are promiscuous and that's the reason why they got HIV. Like, obviously, that's not the truth. Right. And and also, I just want to state because um, I know that this is being recorded, but I do want to mention that promiscuous is very derogatory and the word is multiple partners. Um, the reason why that the reason why that term, not term, but that understanding is it's false and it creates an issue is because a lot of people, you know, get HIV from their main partners, you know? Um, and so I would even venture to say a majority, there was a study done that said 68% of newly diagnosed people living with HIV um, got HIV from their main partners. So that could be their, you know, official boyfriend, official girlfriend, their husband, their wives, you know, like things like that. So that's one stigma that has to be debunked, right? Or one myth. The other thing is um, about how, like who can get it, right? And and the fact that um, because certain narratives have been created, right? And while it is true that certain people are disproportionately affected with HIV, by HIV in the United States, it doesn't mean that other people can't get it. And so um, folks right. are using you know, false understandings and using that as fact. And that's not true. And it creates a stigma, but it also hurts the population. Like it's not just about like having stigma. It's about what people do as a result of that stigma. So now, because I believe this false information, I don't have to, because I believe it, I don't have to protect myself because it's not going to happen to me anyway. Cause it, cause it doesn't happen to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's the danger that we run into when we believe when we have stigma, it harms us. I was reading a statistic uh, the other day that said black women are 15 times more likely to contract HIV than white women. Why, why are we so disproportionately at risk? I mean, there are so many other places where um, we are at risk of, of, of or high up 
of contracting something would be heart disease or cancer or whatever. But but why do you think we're so higher? So usually when people ask me why black women are usually um well, black women do have the highest rates of HIV among women in general, um, or the highest risk of acquiring HIV in their lifetime than other women. And the main reason is because black men have the highest risk of acquiring HIV um, in their lifetime as well. And black women typically, and I know that black women sleep with, you know, can sleep with multiple men, but black women typically, black people to people tend to sleep with people within their races. <laughs> so it's not just about black folks. It's also about like white folks. White folks tend to like the majority of white folks do um, partner with white people. The majority of Hispanic people um, partner with Hispanic people. The majority of black people tend to partner with um, black folks. And when I say partner, I'm just saying sexually partner. Um, I know that people do step outside of their races and have sex with different races and stuff like that. But um, generally speaking, um, black women are having sex with black men. And if black men have higher rates, then of course black women are going to have higher rates because they're the mo they're the ones that black men are sleeping with the most. And so, um, you know, by the law of numbers, that's just naturally what's going to happen if protection is not being used. Right. And, and, and so, um, you know, I've gotten some education up underneath my belt and I've been learning about racism in the health industry <laughs> and um it's just such a very sad uh situation but so true like we really really unraveling the way that the the lie of white supremacy impacts all of these different institutions in our country and our society it's overwhelming but specifically around the healthcare industry and stigma i know you and i were having a conversation about um, just a, a health care, a, a person that works in healthcare and bringing their personal biases to a situation, the way they handle patients. Right. And that in turn creating a, a bad taste in, uh, leaving a bad taste in our community and in, in our, uh, you know, community members' mouths, not wanting to experience that judgment, not wanting to experience that lack of care, not wanting to experience the racism and the bigotry. And so avoiding the healthcare system altogether, because again, we understand that HIV is transmitted, um, you know, through the exchange of semen and blood, right? Yeah. Semen, blood, breast milk, vaginal secretion, mm. anal secretion. That's right. And, and so, pre -cum. Come on. So Sorry. <laughs> I got to say the pre-cum part because folks don't realize that that bit of liquid yeah. can form a human being and transmit HIV. <laughs> Correct. And so with that being said, um, you know, what, what the aversion to protection in some places, you know, like, like what are some of the things that you think hinder people from wanting to practice safe sex um, or, and then after Ooh. not uh, having safe sex, uh, resistant or avoiding going to get tested? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to your point, unconscious bias and conscious bias i mean those are the driving factors you know aside from behavior and aside from you know people just not knowing um those factors really do impact health outcomes especially for people of color and especially for people that are um that are undocumented right so um you know i, I want to just highlight 
that point because it's not talked about enough um, the impact of having um, you know a significantly large amount of white physicians white male physicians um, you know doing surgeries on black women um, you know um, things like that so how does that impact prevention um, significantly it can drive someone away from receiving prep right it can drive someone away from getting care. And it's not even just about sexual health. It could be about cancer prevention. It could be about treatment. Um, there are, there was a, I don't know the specifics of this study, but I do not know that there was a study done in 2015 um, to medical students. And a significant amount of those students believed that black people do not experience pain as much as other folks do. Yeah, right. I read that. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, it's crazy that you that we're having this conversation today because yesterday, um, you know, we just wrapped up the United States Conference of um, on HIV and AIDS this week, and that was supposed to be in Puerto Rico. So I'm a little salty about that, but it was virtual, <laughs> and we had Harriet Washington, Angela Rye hosted um, one of the segments, wow. and then we had Harriet Washington, who's the author of Medical Apartheid, mm-hmm. and she, her, oh my God, her. I posted it on Instagram yesterday and I wrote, she said that um, when we're talking about the mistrust, the medical mistrust that the black and brown community has of the healthcare system, we can't talk about that without talking about the untrustworthiness of the healthcare system because we're not mistrusting for no reason. Right. There are, she wrote a book, right? And it's a very fat book. <laughs> um <laughs> about all of these ethical violations i mean if we we if we're real with ourselves it's still happening today and we know that they're happening today with women that are in ice in in those detention centers right yeah um so we know that these things are happening especially with research right um so how does that impact health outcomes in so many different ways i mean i can't even mention all of them but imagine walking into the clinic um asking for preventative medication a doctor saying, why don't you just wear condoms and just be on with it, right? Instead of saying like, hey, I'm looking for PrEP. I know that my behaviors are putting me at risk for HIV. I would like to get on a medication to prevent HIV, right? And the doctor says, why don't you just use um, condoms? Or why don't you just practice abstinence, right? It plays out that way. It plays out in, um, in, in providers not trusting their patients, not trusting that they will be quote unquote compliant. And I don't even like that term because it sounds very legal. And so they're talking about like, you're not going to come to your appointments. You're not going to take the medication. So I'm not even going to tell you that you need to see a specialist at this point, which means that you're going to, your health issues are going to continue to, to get worse. Um, and then countless examples of people, of people, black people with PhDs and, you know, master's level degrees going into the health center and being treated completely different until the provider realizes that they're from an Ivy League or realizes that they have a higher degree, right? All of those instances impact health. And then not to mention that regardless of your status, regardless, so regardless of your income, regardless of your status, you can still suffer health outcomes simply because you're Black and because of the way you're treated, right? So when we look at women who give Black women who are giving birth, right? regardless of income, regardless of your status, black women are still dying. Right. And so we have to talk about the stress 
that racism causes on our body. Like we don't recognize and we talk about black tone crack because like our skin is looking good, right? Our teeth are looking good, our hair is looking good, but the stress of racism on our biological cells and our genes, that's where the work and the harm is being done. We don't recognize how these systems are literally changing the fabric of who we are and we're passing that down. And that's the impact of white supremacy. It's not just what we're experiencing on a day-to-day basis. It's how that's literally impacting our children and our children, our unborn children. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, like, imagine being, like, like you don't want to be birthed into stress. Right. That's biologically, right. spiritually. Ugh. You don't want to birth a child into a, a racist place, exactly. a racist environment where you have to beg for medication, where you have to prove that you're actually in pain, where you have exactly. to, like, get someone to agree if something's wrong, something's wrong. I'll never right. forget that one um, brother who was who went to court uh, around his wife who's who died like eight hours after giving birth and she said it repeatedly yes something doesn't feel right yes and he just watched her deteriorate and she she yep. transitioned yep. and it happens so frequently white supremacy kills black people in so, in many, so many ways different ways, so many ways. and it and because and what bothers me is that people struggle to make that connection because folks aren't dying like today. Like, I mean, people are dying today, but like, you know, like if it's not immediate, then it's not that serious. And we have to recognize that it's those little consistent um, situations that build up over time. Those micro experiences, right? They're micro because they happen so small on a day-to-day basis and it could be something tiny, but if it, the more consistent it is, the more impact it can have on someone. Even if it's perceived, right? And we have to talk about like perceived um, racism or perceived um, stigma versus actual, but it doesn't matter because if someone is perceiving someone to be discriminatory towards them, if someone is perceiving someone to be racist towards them, then my body is going to respond as if I'm being racially impacted. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if it's real or not. What matters is how my body is responding to it. And that's the, that's the problem. And that should be enough. Right. That, exactly. Exactly. A pandemic is a pandemic is a pandemic. Is a pandemic. Shout out to a Johnny Nafula who made this most beautiful comparison to, I mean, white supremacy has been a pandemic for black people since, and I'm going to put period since period. So, and we still, and in, in, in every space, we are not believed in every single every space. space where white supremacy is rearing its ugly head. We are, have been screaming screaming for justice screaming for equity and it's like simply not not believed and that's why that delusion is just so sick so how what can we do sis like what can we do to combat what can we do to be healthy what can we do to be self-sufficient what can we do to actively dismantle the impact that white supremacy is having on our sexual health 
Yeah, I love um, the way you frame that question, actively dismantle, because it is an active process. It's a proactive process. And we shouldn't be reactive in anything that we do as Black folks, right? Unfortunately, we don't have the ability to do that. Um, <clears throat> so I think the first thing is get educated and just rec practice humility and just know that we do not know everything. Like, we don't know um we need to educate ourselves and we need to recognize that we don't know all the answers. And there are things that are impacting us that we don't recognize that are impacting us. So the first thing is really to get educated. And then, and when I say educated, I'm not just talking about like school stuff or, you know, going back to school or whatever. I'm saying like, open some books, you know, have conversations, talk to people who know more than you, you know, um, because what I recognize especially with the work that I do is that I know that one, I'm not an expert. <laughs> um, I may know the facts, but this work requires more than just research and science. And it's about building relationships and understanding dynamics. So we have to be brave enough to put ourselves out there and be vulnerable so that we can receive the information that we need that can save our lives. That might mean talking and that should mean talking to partners about your sexual health, talking to your doctor about the type of sex that you have, right? And that's and that's important. Um, being proactive is saying, hey doc, you forgot to swab my throat because I have oral sex. Hey doc, you forgot to ask me if I have anal sex because I need to swab my anus for STDs. Hey, I realized that, you know, if my test is positive for chlamydia, I also had anal sex too. Can we just, just double check and just make sure that we're good right? It yeah. means having those kinds of discussions. Too often we, folks are going to the doctor doing a basic urine test or a basic blood test. Newsflash, blood tests don't identify everything. Wow. Right? So we need to make sure that we're um, not ever saying, I got tested for everything, let's good, we're good, right? Because that, that song is old and it's, it's no longer effective. <laughs> um. So that's number one, like really being transparent and, and not ashamed. And if you're ashamed to talk to your doctor, if your doctor is shaming you or your provider is shaming you, go find someone else. Because there is a provider that's willing and ready and an advocate and ready to have those conversations with you. So if your provider is not saying those things, not asking you questions, not talking to you about sex or uncomfortable, then it's time for a new physician. So it's time for a new provider. That's number one. Um, then talking to your partner. I can't begin to explain, and I know this happens because I've done it too myself, right? People don't talk about sex. Like they may talk about sex, but they're not talking about sexual histories. They're not talking about right. when was the last time you got tested. They're not talking about when was the last time you, um, like, have you ever had an STI? Or when you got tested, what did you get tested for? What did your results say? You know, did you ever ask questions? Have you ever had a bump on your penis? Have you ever had um, issues with, you know, like whatever, you know, those conversations need to happen. And if they're not happening, then you are at risk, right? That is literally a risk factor. Not having conversations about sex is a risk factor. Um, what else? <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm so passionate right now. Um, I love it, and I and I think it's just so important because we let those slip 
kind of just fall by the wayside. Um, yeah, I think the things that we are silent about are the things that we need to not be silent about. Like we can talk about so many different things as black folks. We need to in include sexual health in our conversations. And um, uh, so as far as white supremacy, um, speaking up and recognizing um, places that need to improve. Like if you go to a health center, you see that there's some information there that may be incorrect or maybe non-inclusive. Say something to the person who's leading the clinic, the medical director or whatever, because chances are they need to follow a certain standard and they have certain grants. And so by virtue of that, they need to be in compliance or they need to adhere to those rules. So you're helping them out by bringing something to their attention. So don't allow things to kind of continue to fall by the wayside. If you see something, say something. Um, I do that all the time. Like if I go into a clinic and I'm, you know, filling out an intake form and I realize that they use the wrong term or they're missing stuff on their intake. Like, how are you going to say that you're um, inclusive and you have the LGBT flag up, right? The pride flag up but you don't have trans women or trans men on your intake form. How is that possible that I, you're saying that someone can come in of trans experience, but then I can't check, check a box. Right. Right. So your messages need to match up. We need consistency in that way. Um, and I do think that white supremacy plays into that as well. Right. We need to make sure that um, when you're going into places that you see people that look like you, it's very often that folks just forget that, you're serving the community and the community does not look like white folks, right? When we're talking about like who needs this information the most, we do. We do because the truth is um, white folks have gotten this information and they're using the protection and using the information to, to their best ability, right? Because they have had access. They got the tea. They know how to, you know, they can get a prescriber that can just get them whatever they need and blah, blah, blah. And we don't have that privilege. So we need to make sure that we have um, access and quality access as well. And part of that is by being proactive. Unfortunately, we have to do some work. We have a lot of work to do as people. So I, I want to add two things. Um, and this is outside of white supremacy, but just for ourselves and our own self-sufficiency, our own self-love, our own self-care. The same inclusivity that we need in the healthcare system and in any system uh, that we live under and agree to or function under, we have to manifest those things with each other. Right. That means shaming people who are same gender loving, shaming right. people who are trans, right. making people feel like they have to hide and have mm -hmm. to be secretive about their lifestyle and their, and who they are and who Absolutely. they love has got to stop. Absolutely. It's got and to stop. We don't recognize how that hurts us as well. Every form of injustice impacts the most marginalized group the most. Right? It just impacts just groups that are oppressed even more. Right? So we have to, we definitely need inclusivity and fairness and equity across the board, not just for um, not just for races, but for genders as well. I agree. And for sexual, different sexual orientations. Absolutely. And then I'm also going to say, um, we have to be prepared to practice a little forgiveness. Mm -hmm. 
understand that this delusion of white supremacy uh, is a pandemic, is a disease that impacts anybody who abides by it. And with that expectation, when you go into these places and spaces, yes, offer correction. Yes, stand up for yourself. Yes, have agency. But have no expectation that people are going to agree. Don't mm-hmm. need the validation of white people to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Move beyond yeah. If you're If you go in and let's say you can't find a provider who looks like you and is of uh, sound mind and able to support you through um, your need to, to check up on yourself. One monkey don't stop no show. Right. Get what you need to get. Ask exactly. for what you need to ask for and keep pumping. And then is there a number or someplace where we can call to report folk? Because I heard about a number where if your doctor uh, gives you poor service, <laughs> poor bedside manner that you can report, I'm going to find that number. I'm going to post it on the page if we don't have. I'm going to find it seriously because mm-hmm. um, we don't have we don't have to suck it up. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, there's definitely I'm sure there's a number. I mean, doctors. I mean, providers operate a lot based on um, performance um, and fee for service and things like that. So, and a lot of incentives. Um, so, yeah, if you if they're reported for whatever they've done, um, I, I believe you. You know, it's funny because Harriet Washington was talking about how um, one of the things that have transformed the way service has been done, like health services has been done, is by incentives by offering incentives like if you do this then we'll incentivize the physician and that's how they got them to change their ways um, back in the day in terms of like racism in terms of operating on black bodies and things like that that's one of the ways that they did that was by using incentives Um, which doesn't really um, isn't necessarily like a beam of hope right because it just means that people are um, motivated by money but there is some kind of some some <laughs> small fraction of accountability. Um, but I do want to echo what you said about practicing forgiveness and um, utilizing allyship and things like that. Like, yeah, I definitely agree that we need to, you know, recognize that we don't necessarily have access to the perfect situation. And if there is someone that is there willing to help you, definitely use those services. Um, you also talked about like how can we um, elevate their standard of like people's standard of self-care and I want to mention that um, not underestimating the power of slowing down and taking care of ourselves because we tend to you know I think this is just by nature of who we are and by what white supremacy has caused us to do um, is that or some of us um, that we have to kind of perform um, more and harder and stronger than everyone else Um, and there's no opportunity for rest and if you're resting you're lazy or if you're resting you're not taking this serious and that is that's a lie right that is a that is a bold-faced lie bold-faced lie and in order for us to be effective in our work or being just just live and survive forget about work but in order for us to survive and thrive we need to rest in order and now if we're thinking about our purpose we need to incorporate resting and self-care in our purpose right it's it's doing us a disservice if we believe that that is not something that is required it is definitely required because other people take their vacations other people take their pto their time absolutely and we're worthy of it 
Yeah. And I, you know, I, and I'm, I feel like there's a lot of this going towards black women. You know, I don't, I, I just feel like we need to really um, believe that we are worthy of taking that vacation time <laughs> and taking that day off and, and being, and I'm, I'm really speaking about myself, right? Cause I know that when I need time off, I question like, okay, how long have I been here? Okay. I've been here four years. I could, re- I could request <laughs> I can request Four some time off. I know. <laughs> right. Oh I mean, that was my last job. And you know the hospital job that I used to work at. That's where, um, you know, that's what I was talking about. I remember when it was time for me to take a vacation, I was like, eh, do I need it though? What am I going to do? Do I need to? Ooh, I got some, you know, like, just take it. You take have time, it. just take it. You know, people take it all the time. People take two weeks, you know, like do whatever you got to do. See, um, annually, two weeks. Every right. Day. Exactly. And people and you'll be fine and the work will still be there because the reality is it'll always like it's not going to go anywhere, (laughs) you know, unless you have some deadlines, nothing is going anywhere. So, um, yeah, take that time, take that time, because we can't we can't rely on someone else to to take care of us. You know, this is our that's that's your job. Like this is our bodies. This is our temple. This is. You know, we have to take responsibility for that. So, I mean, you kind of, I mean, my next and final question was going to be, you know, what's your wish for black people? Is it outside of the realm of rest? Do you have something different than rest? If you could just wish one thing for black people. Um, it was, it was definitely not underestimating the power of slowing down. Um, let me see. You don't have to. Um, That was phenomenal. You know, no, I think for black folks you know like I guess my issue with that not my issue with the question but I just feel like there's so much um I don't want to say that we need to do um I I think that my wish for black people is to remain in community I think the answers are found like amongst ourselves and my main wish is for us to not believe that we need to isolate ourselves in order to um, in order to like thrive because I've heard that a lot where people are like I'm just gonna you know be by myself do whatever I gotta do and I think that's the worst thing that we can do is isolate ourselves so my one wish for black folks is to see the value in community well sis you you are dynamic you too thank you so much i love this thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you for always uh being so supportive you have helped me grow and mature in so many ways over the last like six years i'm so (laughs) grateful to know you truly i'm so grateful for your time for your gifts for your knowledge your insight thank you for just walking in your purpose thank you for showing up and showing out thank you for just being present thank you for loving black people just because we here and we're worthy Thank you for actively dismantling the way that white supremacy impacts our bodies. Thank you for all that you know, all that you share, all that you do. You are beautiful inside and out. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. So grateful for you. And I wish you you. nothing but success and rest and prosperity and evolution. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you you so much. Thank you for everything. Um, You are a beam of hope um, and phenomenal. And the way you have, even the way you started this um, podcast off, I was just like, wow, I feel like I'm on, you know, wherever you find your podcast. 
<laughs> you know how they say that at the end. Um, so thank you for creating this space. It's so needed. And I know that um, I look forward to hearing the other folks speak and, and hearing what they have to offer. It's going to be good. It's gonna be good. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to Black Oasis. You can follow us on social media at Black Oasis ATL for Instagram, Black Oasis on Facebook, and the website where you can subscribe, www.blackoasis.org. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay Black, but you don't really have a choice.